It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Welcome back to I Love Rock and Roll. My name is Ken Krantz. <laughs> and uh, welcome to American Loser. Hi, guys. Um, welcome to Frame by Frame, the animation podcast that's finally back. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this is cool, man. Wow. I'm KP Burke. The show is called American Loser. We're doing a crossover with one of my great pals in comedy, one of my favorite comics, Mr. Ken Krantz, whose show is called I Love Rock and Roll. Yeah, we're uh, we're sort of like the American loser of music. Not listened to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, man, dude, you still have possibly the greatest one-liner in the history of American loser because you and Covert came on for the tragedy of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire and uh, you know the Jewish labor unions that were involved with the safety. <laughs> Ken just goes. Jews and their locks during the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was doors. like, all right, that's that's about as oh, good as it's going to get, folks. <laughs> right. They were locked. They were locking them in. Right. They were to make sure that nobody was leaving early or anything like that. But, uh, dude, now you got this bad boy up and running, man. Uh, when did you start? I love rock and roll. Uh, I think we just record like we're pretty new. We just did our 13th or 14th episode. Nice. But um. It's you know what it's like. It's like fucking writing a term paper every Amen, week. Amen, brother. <laughs> it's, I get so I get so immersed in a band for a week or two while I'm, and it's all I think about and do. And then as soon as the episode's recorded, I'm like, I never have to listen to Twisted Sister again. Right. <laughs> this is this it's podcast brutal. has been the hardest three credit course that I ever took <laughs> with the amount of papers that I had to write. Well, if you're not familiar with American Loser, what uh, my name's KP Burke. My dad is Lawrence Patrick Burke, and we do uh, every week. It's a weird story from American history. And then what I love that you're doing, Ken, is this is weird shit from rock and roll that people just skim over or forgot about. Right? Yeah, we're we're trying to. So I know I normally have a co-host, Chip Chantry, who uh, funny dude. Yeah, he's very. He actually, I remind me off air to tell you he has my all-time favorite joke, but it's kind of visual, so I can't even do it. <laughs> I can't even do it on the air, but um. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll actually admit I was sort of inspired by uh, American Loser. I, I always wanted to do a like a interesting rock and roll story podcast, but it just felt like so much work. Sort and, of. and now you found out it really is that much yeah, work. Yeah, but then, but then I saw how you put it together and I... I well, today's topic, you never do know who you're actually going to inspire. <laughs> but real quick, Come behind on. the ones and twos, the big kahunas in the building. What's going on, boss? You know where we're at, guys. It's a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming taking great care of us here. Exciting that we get to be in studio with a buddy of ours who's got a great show. If you're a regular American Loser listener, please do me a favor and check out Ken's show. Uh, if not, just check out this episode. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> We're doing the crossover thing, buddy. So I'm and, stoked about this. Yeah. And for our uh, I Love Rock and Roll listeners, definitely check out American uh, American Loser. Thank you, man. And how did you, because you gave me the topic for this one, because this is great, because we're a history show, you're a music show. These two things collide heavy duty. <laughs> yes. Right. 
yeah, <laughs> impacted it's, uh, the world. Two meteors in orbit at the same time hitting one another. Um, how did you land on this topic here? For this well, one? I think you and I were just bouncing topics off each other. We we went through a few. We thought we talked about Phil Spector. We talked about Woodstock '99. That, I think that was the that one. That would have been a great one. Oh, man. We should have brought my cousin Kate in to talk about sleeping through the riots during Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was there. I was that one. So I would have, but I, <laughs> my memory was a little, like when, like when DMX died, I remember thinking I was so bummed that I never got to see DMX live. <laughs> and then a couple hours later a friend of mine texted me was like how lucky are we that we got to see dmx at woodstock <laughs> at his most legendary set apparently it was like the most legendary set he'd had in his uh. life and i was there and even after being told i was there i still don't remember but i guess it counts that i saw him. Right, perhaps, you were there you were in the house <laughs> perhaps mk ultra got his hands on ken krantz as well who knows on that one man but uh this one's wild too because it's a history show but this is also something that uh, the handsome dilf of a dad that I have over here. He's um, you lived through this shit. Well, yeah, I was alive. Well, and Kahuna, you know the name of because we already said who it is. It's oh yeah. Today to introduce the topic, it's uh, the illustrious Mark David Chapman, or as we're calling this episode, I texted Ken before, is it, uh, Mark David Chapman and the magic of reading. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, because when you think of this guy, like what pops in your head, dude? Well, not not American security guard. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which right, is, right. <laughs> 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 I remember Googling him because you and I were going back and forth on topics. And I was like, what about Mark David Chapman? And you would think that the Internet would lead with uh, John Lennon's murderer, but it led with American security guard. A little, uh, little scrubbing of the backstory on that one, Google. Where <laughs> yeah, you go, right, right, right. yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Anyone who encourages reading is probably a good person, though. And on this uh, crossover episode, we're going to realize uh, maybe not so much the case here. Uh, Mark David Chapman is going to read a book, and it's a book that straight up changes his life. Like, was there anything that jumped out at you? Like, because for me, I know the thing that changed the way I looked at the world a little bit was when I saw Doug stand up no refunds for the first time. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my life's a lie. <laughs> but was there anything, because like music wise, it was always cool to see what could open your mind up to new experiences and shit. But I mean, you, you're you a diehard music fan. Yes. And uh, <laughs> you've mentioned being able to see music on occasion. So <laughs> was there anything that jumped out at you that could be like a pivotal life-changing moment for you? Maybe the way that this book we're about to talk about hit Mark David Chapman? Well, I mean, not, not in the way that, um, <laughs> not in the way Mark David Chapman was inspired, but I've, I've told the story on uh, I Love Rock and Roll before where for me it was I was probably 13 years old and um, I just uh, smoked a joint because they uh, they started us young back then. And my brother gave me a copy of David Live, David Bowie's live album from uh, uh, the sure. Tower Theater. And up until then, all my music had been like, whatever bullshit was on there, like Huey Lewis in Chicago, <laughs> like whatever bullshit was on the car radio in, in my mom's car. It and was then, no longer hip to be square after that. <laughs> yeah, and then once I put that on, like within the first song, I was like, oh, there's a whole world out there that I didn't know anything about, and I was hooked. It's, uh, well, Bowie comes into this story a little yes. bit too, which yeah. is pretty cool, because mm -hmm. there was a lot of crossovers. I thought in my head that it was going to be like, all right, so we're doing really going to be almost like a I don't want to say that it was a current event because the events that happened I mean this is what the 80s right mm -hmm. um so I, I was born in 1987 whether or not people choose to believe that but um 
It's a uh, it's a weird one. You lived through this shit, Dad. Yeah, I was around in uh, 1980. What was the? No uh, I mean, like, no the news was it life? Because I I won't lie to you. Uh, we were at this very studio. Me and Andy Highroller did an episode. Went over to the Nip Tuck uh, Bar in Long Branch over here. We're having uh, Bloody Marys and breakfast after a podcast. And then everybody in the bar starts looking around and they're all talking. And it's like a weird chatter. And then it pops up on our phones. Kobe Bryant had just died. Right. So yeah. always remember where you were for that one. I remember being, you know, exactly where I was when I heard about 9-11. Um, so was this that kind of a moment when it happened? Not for me. I mean, obviously, it, it set the world aback that, holy God, because at the time in uh, 1980, John Lennon really was back throttling away from his uh, – you know, skyrocketing career type of a thing. He he stepped back to re really raise his kid, Sean. Um, so right, he took a he took like a five year hiatus from right. from the whole rock and roll scene uh, while he's raising his kid. He became the the uh, the house dad kind of a thing. That you know, like, yeah, with, all the all the attention he didn't pay to Julian. He, he <laughs> right, was, exactly. He was giving the Sean from right his first his first child from his. He was first a stay at home marriage. dad because right. Yoko had her human trafficking business. Um, <laughs> that I was, was going to say he stayed home and we got Yoko. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but it's a wild one, man. Um, now this book, because I did you read the the app? The book, of course, by the way, is J D. Salinger's infamous Catcher in the Rye. Um, did you read that book ever? I read it in high school. Yeah. Were you, because for me, I remember reading because everybody's like, oh my God, this is, this book has history to it. It's like the ring tape. It makes you kill people and yeah. stuff. It, and then you read the book and you're like, I mean, okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's like, it's like when you, when you heard how groundbreaking Lenny Bruce was and then, but like, and I, he wasn't, <laughs> right, right. he was at the time. Agreed. But you go back right. now and listen to it, and you're like, "This is what people right. were they, they were getting, getting upset by." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't remember the book that well. I just kind of remember that it was a guy that had a fantasy about shooting another guy, but didn't. Yeah, I mean, that was I, I kept remember like we would sit there and everybody was all excited. It was like, "Oh, we're reading Catcher in the Rye." It's a dangerous book, if you will, because uh, you pointed it out to me, Dad. That's both on a must-read list and a banned reading list. Right? Yeah, it, it makes the top. <laughs> Makes like the top ten on on both sides. That uh, um, J.D. Salinger wrote this novel, and it was again going to the to the time period. It's 1951, so you know uh, people's attitudes and right. ideals and everything else, moral compass was a little different than it is right now, or even later on in the in the 60s, 70s, and and 80s. But um, he writes this novel uh, detailing. Uh, you know, a couple of days in the life of this 16-year-old um, that was just thrown out of school for the, like the third or fourth time, uh, high school. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it really created a stir. It, it, the novel was a popular success, and within two months of its publication, it had been reprinted eight times. So, you know, it hit the it hit the New York Times bestseller list for uh, over thirty weeks. Um, but as many people that were touting what a great you know uh, novel this was, there was a lot of other people saying this is trash, this is filth, this yeah. is that uh, you know they say hell and damn and and everything else in there that uh, in well, Christ's he, he sake. He sees and, a, a prostitute in the book, if I remember right. He goes to see a prostitute, but then doesn't do yes. anything with it. Gets roughed up by the pimp. I think. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole book filled with a guy that wants to do stuff and doesn't. That's <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And it was salacious back then. But you like, but to, but to, 
when you say it spent 30 weeks at number one, like back in the 50s, that's when people read books and you had to sell a lot. Like now you can get a New York Times, like everybody. If you right. put out a book, you get the number one book on the New York bestsellers list. Angelo Gingerelli is putting that theory to test. A little inside baseball for us Jersey <laughs> yeah. comics. Yeah, but you, right. But back in then, the 50s, you would just sell a shitload of copies. Right. It had to be and water to be on the New York too. Times bestseller list yeah. was assured that you were gonna you were gonna make it. But again, now in the 1950s, I mean, you think back, what a big stir even Playboy magazine made. Right. That you got this guy Hugh Hefner that's making all kinds of money by. Uh, Putting a centerfold in, uh, in a men's the magazine. Periodical? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> good, good articles. That's the only reason people would buy that for the articles, not not for the uh, illustrations or the photographs. But anyhow, I mean, he's he changes uh, writing styles too. I mean, people start going in a different direction. He's uh, he serves uh, his his character uh, Holden Caulfield is this sixteen year old that I said as I said just was thrown out of, I think, the third or fourth prep school. Um, and it's it's he's using the main character, Holden Caulfield, as this unreliable narrator, uh, telling people what's going on. So it's, 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 it's craziness. And as soon as somebody bans th- something, what's going to happen? Right. Everybody. Why? I got to get a hold of that. I got to get a hold of that shit and find out why people are so upset. You know, Um, certain former conspiracy theorist radio show host that's uh, on fire on the podcasts right now (laughs) because they took him off YouTube and now he's the most sought after guest on podcasts. (laughs) It's like when they put the uh, parental advisory explicit lyric stickers on album. So you know it's good. Right. Yeah. We we (laughs) covered when we did the Twisted Sister episode, we covered this when Dee Snyder went to Washington. Oh, yeah. They all fought so hard against those stickers going on the albums. But once they went on, sales went through the roof. Exactly. Because that's all kids wanted. Exactly. It's uh, and again, take something away. You create uh, demand. Exactly. And then back in the in the 50s, too, you had movies censorship. You had to get through the uh, the review board for the movies uh, and the rating system and all this. All Comic this type books, of things. right? Everything, they, everything. Uh, what a place to say that too, yeah. right here in Mike and Ming's backyard. <laughs> really, and even even television. I mean, in the fifties, uh, television was just going to rot the minds of the of the youth, and we're all going to become babbling idiots. Can you imagine we, watching watch leave, television. It, leave it to Beaver and thinking that? Yeah. That's a, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's created a lot of false memories in people's lives, man. <laughs> But I, I pulled up a cool statistic because I was curious about how how much this book has sold, like how many copies. So they say that 250,000 copies are sold a year. Right. And they think 65 million copies have been sold worldwide since it was published. So in short, Mark David Chapman's mission worked and more people did in fact read Catcher in the Rye. Mm. <laughs> I got it real quick just to give us the inciting incident here for the podcast. Um, on December 8th, 1988, a terrible event occurred, Dad. Um my sister's birthday. Uh, on December 8th, 1988, eight years prior to that, though, uh, Mark David Chapman, the topic of today's American Loser and I Love Rock and Roll, he will fire five 38 special rounds from his snub-nosed revolver into the back of Beatles' former Beatles lead singer, John Lennon. Um, the idea of Lennon being killed by 38 Special is pretty fascinating. Give <laughs> tribute to the band. He was um, also shot with 38 hollow points, too, so... Uh... It As was, a quote from Chapman, to ensure death. Right. So he wasn't he was fucking with a revolver? Yep. Oh, it's also interesting. Little snub nose revolver action. Did you hear um, the James Taylor? So James Taylor 
claims that he had an encounter with Mark David Chapman the day before Lennon was shot and James Taylor was staying in a hotel next to the Dakota mm -hmm. where John Lennon was shot. Right. And I, this is like a pretty recent interview I was watching. He was on Howard, uh, Howard Stern, maybe five years ago. And James Taylor was saying he was on the phone with his wife and he hears five shots. And then he says to her, uh, I think the cops just killed somebody. And she said, why do you think the cops killed somebody? He said, well, it was five shots, which means they emptied the gun, you know, one in the hammer and then four, in, you know, in, mm -hmm. and uh, sounds like it was probably a 38. And I was like, you think James Taylor really? Yeah, like, yeah. okay, law and order. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Anybody no, else's like, truck just backfired, but he knows. Oh, yeah. that, was a, that was 38. Yeah. That was clearly a 38. <laughs> well, because it's a whole, this story is just mind-blowing. But that's the inciting incident now is that this is the murder of John Lennon here. Um, and this guy, Mark David Chapman, he's going to wind up attributing. This is actually what he wrote. Uh, as soon as he's done, first of all, Coon, if you shot somebody, you sticking around? No. <laughs> no. What do you think Mark David Chapman does? He, he sat on a park bench and waited. Yep. Oh, opens up a book. Yeah. Catching the rock. Yeah. Yep. Then but signed the book inside. That is it? one of the creepiest photos, by the way, that I've ever seen. If you don't know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, we do. We'll get to that here in a yeah. second. <laughs> by the way, have you, has anybody ever been obsessed with a book and then did good in the world? <laughs> there, like, just read a book and be like, that was a pretty good book, and then read the next one. Parents, talk about to your children about the dangers of reading. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a tough one, man. But uh, Mark David Chapman will go down in history uh, for shooting these five rounds into the back of John Lennon, uh, pretty much killing John Lennon. He arrives uh, dead on arrival, being brought in. Not by an ambulance. They rushed him into the back of a squad car, police car, in order to get him out of there. Yeah, because he was bleeding out. Oh, again, with hollow point bullets and right. the 38 specials, nothing to fuck with. Um, those who don't know, you can shoot uh, 38 specials out of a 357. James Taylor knows that. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> he can tell you how many grains are in the bullet. Uh, going to Carolina in his mind, man. Um hmm. But it's wild. Now, this is the craziest part. When they do find Chapman after having shot the most famous, one of the most famous men in the world. Right. Um, he's calmly sitting on a park bench. The arrest goes down with no incident. And then inside the cover of his copy of Catcher in the Rye, he wrote, this is my statement. Yeah. And signed it as Holden Caulfield. Right. Who was so, the lead character within Catcher yeah. in the Rye. So there's a little, if you want to make the case of schizophrenia here, there's a lot that goes on with the, that whole backstory and everything too. But- Early on, this guy's life, you never thought he was going to turn out this way. It's like, um, I don't know, there, there's elements of maybe the Joker to him, and there's a little bit of taxi driver stuff going on with him, too, which, of course, lends itself to uh, some copycat crimes and everything later on in his life. But did you get into anything about his early life, Ken? Yeah, I, a little bit. It sounds like he was on a good track, right? Like he was, um, <laughs> yeah, not so much. I thought he wasn't he like counselor of the year at yes. his summer camp. Oh yeah, and uh, just to ruin this for Kahuna real quickly, Kahuna Mark David Chapman, who again will go down in history for having murdered John Lennon. Yes, counselor of the year at a summer camp that he's working at. Uh, guess what his nickname was because he was the most popular counselor amongst the kids. The kids gave him a nickname. Oh, no. Wait. Wait. Yep. Wait. Nemo. Are you serious? Yep. Yeah. yep. So try and join that movie again. <laughs> Nemo. Oh, they found Nemo. Lennon found him. <laughs> but our buddy Mark David Chapman was born in Texas, 1955. His father was a physically and emotionally abusive Air Force staff sergeant. There was a 
couple little cracks in his mental foundation. Uh, they begin to appear early on. He had uh, vivid fantasies of being the king of little people that lived in his wall of his bedroom. It was, I mean, I had a pretty active imagination as a kid. Like, you know. You're making that up. Nope. No. That's 100%. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I was just thinking about L. McPherson. So, <laughs> but, See, if he had just like drew these characters and pitched it, he would have created the Smurfs yeah. before anybody else. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One, See, one. like you gotta have, you gotta be creative with your crazy. Well, right. You gotta him. let it out. You gotta yeah, exactly. let it out. Because <laughs> now you're making me wonder. I wonder if the people who created the Smurfs were sitting there like, well, we were gonna kill Lennon, but that's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus, man, uh, he's got these vivid fantasies here. He also winds up running away a couple of times. He begins skipping classes, taking drugs. By you started smoking pot at age 13, Ken? Yeah, I was young. Yeah, so age 14. So a couple more years, you're going to wind up shooting Justin Bieber. That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I do, it'll be to impress Jodie Foster. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect, too, because it's actually on topic. <laughs> Uh, eventually, he's going to wind up going down the born-again religious path, and he'll wind up distributing Christian literature. Again, just another misuse of a book right there. Right. Um, and again, like we said, a, a pretty popular kid working – he likes working with the younger kids over at a camp. So this seems like a pretty decent dude. Uh, it seems to be relatively rooted in reality. And also, he's got a girlfriend now. He's got this newfound spirituality, got a passion for working with kids. It seems like his life is on the up and up until he reads that fateful book. Yeah, this one's going to ruin everything here. A friend suggested that he read J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, and this one's going to change his worldview a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yes. Can you imagine being that friend on December 8th, 1980, when you realize why yeah. he did it? Right. Can yeah. you just be like, fuck, I shouldn't have told Nemo to read that book. Yeah, yeah. Nemo. I'm the oh. one who introduced Kurt Cobain to Courtney Love, so I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I'm the one who introduced you to that weirdo Christian Cortez. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the mental illness thing starts to make appearances again during uh, his early life here, if you will. But Chapman's also, he's bouncing around the world, Dad, right? He's seeing some shit. Yeah, well, he goes from the summer camp. He reads, the, he reads um, you know, Catcher in the Rye and stuff, and that does, certainly does make an impact on him. Uh, he also starts to get into uh, his newfound spirituality, if you will, that he starts to become what we would today reference as a born-again Christian type of a thing. So he's starting to change his life around. I mean, he's got a decent job. He's got a girlfriend. He's, uh, you know, working as, a, as this camp counselor, helping, helping kids, helping the youth. Can you imagine being uh, the runner-up to Counselor of the Year that lost to Mark David Chapman? <laughs> yeah, really. I could have, I could have been somebody. Recant. Yeah, he still has that award. Just has an asterisk next to his name now. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's crazy too because he actually um, he's going to get himself into college now, and he winds up, I guess, cheating on his girlfriend. Has some sort of a, a they called it an affair, but he cheated on his girlfriend. Felt so guilty about it that he became super depressed started falling behind in his studies, wound up having to drop out of college. And that's the first time we're starting to see the real big cracks in the mental foundation here because now suicidal thoughts are popping into his head and he keeps saying, like, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. So he's not, he's a pretty happy guy. It sounds like, um, are you familiar with uh, manic depression? Yes. It yeah. sounds like this guy has mania. That's right. what it sounds like. That's, <laughs> so it's when things are good, it's the greatest thing ever. And then one tiny thing goes wrong and it's like, oh my God, I need to kill right. myself. I shouldn't even be here. He, uh, he flips, he oscillates back and forth big time. The highs and lows are, are definitely there. Now, have you guys been to Hawaii? Yeah, that's what that's what <laughs> I can't get over. 
Yeah. He moves to Hawaii and he's still fucking murderous. And he buys a he buys a one way ticket to Hawaii. So I mean he's he's all depressed and everything else. He breaks up with his newfound girlfriend and uh how and why he picks Hawaii, but he takes a he buys a one way ticket to Hawaii and you know, where that money came from. I don't think he made that as a camp counselor. But anyhow, he moves to Hawaii and then uh starts to get all depressed there and I think he has his uh his first real suicide attempt on on himself that uh most suicides are yeah, yeah I'm sorry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would I think that would be pretty accurate Kev. um but his first uh, his first attempt at suicide how's that is that better it's um, phrasing we work on phrasing here and uh he 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 chooses to do it with uh carbon monoxide uh asphyxiation so he turns the car on and uh, doesn't quite get it right though so what is it? he melts the hose or yeah, something he to melts, it yeah he right. melts the hose right now my old man pointed out something good too we were talking uh, before we recorded here that even though he didn't technically succeed to be a guy with some mental issues and then also maybe, you know, some severe exposure to, you know, gas poisoning. Yeah. Probably didn't help. Yeah. I think carbon monoxide poisoning, you're killing a few brain cells up yeah. there anyhow. So, you know, yeah. and, and you're, if you're diminished to begin with because of your depression and then I, <laughs> now, shit, I even fucked up my own suicide. I can't even do Fuck that right. The John Cusack <laughs> movie, Better Off Dead. Yes. One of the, oh, it's a God, great movie. Possibly the best 80s comedy out there, man. It's up there. <laughs> it's, uh, it, Chapman's going to, now after the suicide attempt, I think his parents are getting divorced around this time frame. He winds up uh, uh, making a decision to, I think he's living with his mom in Florida or something like that. And then uh, he actually has to have a short stay in a mental hospital after the suicide attempt. That's in Hawaii. Right. So yeah. they do check him into a facility for some psychiatric evaluation. I can't even believe they have mental hospitals in Hawaii. That's. <laughs> have you ever been? It is so nice there. I've it's never been. the but happiest. I just, it has to be the greatest, man. It's uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall's only super funny because it's a depressing movie in <laughs> paradise. That's why it works. Yeah. But. And uh, so he winds up, this is actually the first thing here, because later on in his life, he is going to work, as Ken hilariously said earlier, he will go down in the history books, according to Google, as a uh, security guard. Right. Right. Uh, and it, not just a security guard, either an armed security guard. So there's this idea of like, well, yeah, he be. learns to he learns to shoot. But he does. But here's the thing. Nowadays, there would be background checks where like this guy was uh, for an attempted suicide uh, and then. He's got some psychiatric yeah. evaluation. They would make him wait at least two weeks before giving him that gun <laughs> now. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a Two-week cooling off period. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll kick you out for that one nowadays, man. So it's it's a strange thing here. But again, the guy seems to rebound all the time. It's almost it's very weird because it's like you watch maybe a movie like Joker or something. You're like, well, clearly this is a mentally ill person and we shouldn't be rooting for the violence that he's putting out there. But also you're like, I don't know. This guy's kind of, he's doing his own thing. You know, it's a little bit inspiring that he's, he's <laughs> looking at him. He's finally in control. But Chapman winds up landing on his feet post uh, psychiatric evaluation, if you will. Yeah, he a, goes into this, into this institution, um, gets himself squared away to the point where once he's released from treatment, if you will, he gets a job there. He, he's then hired by the same institution. So now we're we'll saying those a, things now, so we yeah, can well, talk more about them later. Yeah, all right. <laughs> no, because we're. I don't want to. I want to give the story and then show. Because and then you, we'll come back to it. When you presented that crack in the story, there, I was like, oh dear God! All right, this one's. <laughs> 
I didn't think. I thought we were going to have a straight ahead story on this one, but nope. Uh, after several interesting uh, odd jobs with this hospital work, armed security, and also working as a printer in the hospital, I think, uh, he winds up beginning to drink heavily. This is post having a little world tour that he went on. And uh, his travel agent that was booking all of his trips for him, a uh, Japanese-American woman, he winds up later marrying her. Right. So marries his traveling. So this guy, he's not an incel, folks. No, this this is what blew my mind. Not only was he married, he's still married. <laughs> still married to, <laughs> to this the, day. To the same lady, yep. uh, Gloria Chapman. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking like, he should have just killed Van Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the... <laughs> And then when they would have been like, what'd you do? Be like, I'm a fucking wife's Gloria. <laughs> I, he still would have gone away, but I feel like he'd have been out by now. It's, uh, again, it'd be one of those things. Because we're, we're gonna cover it too, because there's the copycat crimes as well, where it's, it's not um, it's not how you kill, it's who you kill. It right. seems to matter a right. lot. <laughs> yeah, and actually John Lennon was, uh, he had a list. Chapman had a list as yeah. to who he was gonna off. And oh, yeah. John yeah. Lennon just bubbled up to the top because I think he was the most the most famous on the list. And it was a matter of convenience, they said, too, for some of the people. It was strange because you could get more like, you know, uh, Ken and I have bumped into some pretty well-known people right. before. But that's the, even as comics, they're still like, OK, so you're going to stay on this side of the room from him. You just be cool right now. Kind right. Of thing. And so there's that. But that's after getting vouched for. Right. Yeah. Back then, you you know, you kind of bump into a celebrity here. There wasn't the whole the idea of paparazzi wasn't going super crazy. No, yet. no, it wasn't. There wasn't the tabloids here weren't mm -hmm. like they are now. Um, he was also obsessed with celebrity. Uh, it, you can go on YouTube. The audio is not amazing, but there is uh, there's about a 30 minute interview with him and Larry King. And he talked about being at some convention and meeting Robert Goulet and Leslie Nielsen <laughs> and basking in their celebrity. And, and, and he said that the whole time he was with Robert Goulet, he felt like he was on top of the world. And then as soon as he left and shut the door behind him, he felt small again. So like like if Robert Goulet makes you feel like that, yeah, really. imagine <laughs> you got more problems. Yeah. Robert Goulet was a real person and not a character invented by Will Ferrell. And that's <laughs> he was a real person. Yeah. Well, I, it, this is where the uh, he's going to start boozing real heavy, which is never good, especially for the manic depressant people. We know a couple of we got a mutual friend or two that have disappeared over a couple right. of times. So not a great move for a manic depressive person here to start drinking real heavily. But then what these people do, because typically manic depressive people, uh, they tend to skew a little bit higher on the IQ range that it's uh, because they're capable of you know deeper thought and everything like that. That's why they can bounce back and forth between the emotions so much. So what they do is they just go head first into their interests. Uh, and I, I found that out from uh, some kid wrote a paper all about it in uh, Brookdale Community College. So, you know, it was academically, you know, relevant. <laughs> really? but, um, but no, he was breaking it down that uh, the people just get hyper focused on one thing. And that's when they're doing well at that thing. They think that they're God because that's the world they've created for themselves. And his particular obsessions were artwork, the catcher in the rye and former Beatle John Lennon. And uh, he's going to crash two of those things into one another. Debatably a third, too. Yeah, well, what you said, too, before that, uh, you know, he was so obsessed with uh, celebrities and that type of a thing. While he's in Hawaii in that um, facility, <laughs> for the lack of a better term, somebody had gives, gives him a book that was just recently written on John Lennon. And he now becomes uh, 
comes to the realization of how much money John Lennon is really just piling on on top. So he's very salty about John Lennon's money. Right. Oh yes, he he thinks that. Yeah, all we we're saying is give peace a chance and every, imagine everybody sharing the world and all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, he's reading in this book about John Lennon is just stacking cash up left and right. I mean, the guy's multimillionaire. How come he's not giving it away if if he's not? He's not practicing what he's preaching type of a thing, and that just pisses him off to ah, no so end. So he's laying the groundwork to become the first incel. Yeah, he he. But again, he's got chicks all the time. That's what's weird. He had the girlfriend there. He had he was married. He still, by the way, he's still, still married. He gets a conjugal visit every year. Yeah, that's yep. Yeah, yep. and she flies. And she he, flies. He's having sex more than most married people. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not even his birthday. <laughs> Well, uh, at this point in time, too, I feel like it's fair to note that because people hear John Lennon and they have different ideas of what because John Lennon was not on this earth for a super long period of time. But then the, the weird shifts that happen when you go from like the clean cut, you know, uh, I want to hold your hand stuff with the Beatles to then getting way deeper into the uh, Sergeant Pepper stuff and then to coming out on like this whole activist via music thing with Imagine and all this. Right. Other like he's got he's a complicated dude. You yeah. Know? People think they feel like they know him, but. If you're with him, because we know him, at least I do, I haven't been born in 87, um, he's already gone by the time I got here. So you had to, you could just appreciate him and all of his works. But if he's constantly evolving and changing, you know, I, I can feel, I understand how somebody could feel betrayed. Because if you latched onto one of those personalities and then that person had a shift, yeah. person, you're like, well, shit, the thing I just centered my whole world around is over. It's not even here yeah. anymore. So it gets a little bit crazy. And uh, Lennon had already left the Beatles at this time, was performing solo works, uh, often in tandem with his largely untalented wife, Yoko. Uh, by the way, yes. side note, I didn't realize the play on words here, though, the play on, um, I guess it's words, uh, but John Lennon, John Legend, both have annoying Asian wives that aren't good people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I'll be honest, I think Yoko gets a bad rap. It, it's very fun to shit on her. Yeah, That's, it is. Yeah, it's, the, it's like the easy thing to do, but yeah. Um, but I, for the time period, she was hated. Yeah, I mean, she was just absolutely hated. She, she was she she was accredited with the breakup breaking of the Beatles. The Beatles so you're up, taking but, McCartney and Lennon, the the two greatest, you know, uh, songwriters that the world has ever seen, kind of a thing. And now this Yoko comes along, and she's some Japanese artist that that pulls John out of uh, out of the Beatles. And yeah, but I, I don't think she I think I think they were probably heading towards a breakup anyway. Yeah, like, it but, sounds like things were there was already cracks in the foundation. Oh, yeah. Well, they had a, she gets they had a pretty good run, too. though. You got to say that the yeah, Beatles had course, a pretty good of, run. Of course they did. But it, I think it would have ended. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, Paul was married to Linda McCartney at the time and he was just as isolated in that right, relationship. Yeah. Oh, she absolutely. just didn't get the. Yep. Uh, That's why Ringo's the coolest of all the Beatles. You know, Ringo had the hottest wife and has a 50-50 chance of outliving them all at this point. Like, for all the shit that he got, he, I think Ringo made out the best. I would agree, man. And it's, uh, no one ever, you, there's no bad opinions on him. Because people yeah. will be like, oh, you yeah. know, they got opinions on Lennon and stuff like that, too. Because Lennon's making a couple of controversial remarks over the years here, too. Uh, his music's already shifted heavily from the, the love and pop songs to kind of more thoughtful works like Imagine, like we were saying. And uh, years earlier, Lennon had gotten himself in some pretty hot water when he told a reporter that 
uh, when they were talking about the popularity of the Beatles, you know which quote I'm about to talk about. Yes, they were bigger than Jesus. Bigger than Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think the way, because I heard him scale that back because he actually has to make a full apology for this because now America where, you know, religion is still, uh, I mean, religion is still a big deal around the world here too, but specifically at this time frame, the Beatles are coming out. They had to come in as clean cut kids, then they never would have been accepted if they showed up as the dirty hippies that they later became kind of a thing. Yeah, they, they, they never were the clean cut kids. They were the, uh, the, the counterculture yeah. to begin with, these long haired hippie types coming over from England. And, you know, the, uh, the, um, well, because originally they had the little, the clean cut look that they were trying to present them as like, this could be the kid that lives down the street from you. But that's how they got everyone hooked. And then you start to see the hair was growing out a little bit. I think uh, someone put acid in their tea or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? that's when drugs came into play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they went over to, uh, India, to India to see the Maharishi and got into the whole zitar and all that all that kind of music right. that was like, wait a minute. going to change my world. <laughs> yeah. But his comment was that they're bigger than Jesus and John intended that because John was a smart dude from everything because, I mean, he I get why people always give Bono some shit because he tries to sound so graceful at all times and, and overly intellectual. And he's he definitely is those things, but it's also fun to shit on Bono a little bit. So it's probably fun to shit on John Lennon back in the day when he was trying to make his comments saying, um, well, I didn't mean that we're bigger than Jesus in terms of pop. I meant that there's been a decline in the popularity of Christianity over the years and the Beatles are actually uh, uh, ascending right now. So. He was trying to make that comp, but people you, had already ran with the story. You you just said the same thing. You just kind of expanded it. That's what he did, you, really. You wrote you wrote the bullshit high school essay. You tried to take two words yeah. and make a whole sentence yeah. out of it. That's what he, that, I swear to God, that's his apology, too. That's the craziest part. His apology is, yeah, sorry I did it, but I did it. Fuck you. There's <laughs> also got to be one, I would imagine, and you know, it's got to be one of the first, like, forced celebrity apologies. It's, I think that's why it's significant, too, because that was when a publicist really became so uh, tantamount to like your continued success. Like, it, look at all people, these. people were burning Beatles records. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which always a... cracked me up. Like, you bought them. You, you, they already got your money. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to buy your records so I can burn it. Yeah. There's a cartoon. Because okay. the first time I found out about this whole controversy, it was hilarious because um, the Cahoon is going to love this. Um, so there was a show called The Angry Beavers, right? It was a cartoon show on Nickelodeon, mm -hmm. and uh, they formed a band, the two Angry Beavers, and they were the they had one get like the big star treatment that he was the lead, and he's giving a a speech and he's putting on a fake British accent. He goes, "Yeah, we're just bigger than sliced bread," and then had a news break. He said, "Sliced bread fans everywhere outraged." <laughs> at that. Fun fact: The Angry Beavers later changed their name to the Indigo Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a little affair joke coming. I swear. I hope uh, Chip doesn't listen to this one. Kahuna does not want his name attached to this episode. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I thought that was the name of Yoko Ono's next band. Ooh, yeah. Jesus! And all zeitgeist at the time too. I mean, the whole counterculture was going on with all of this, and you know, here's these uh, these rock stars that are saying that God is. Uh, you know, they're more powerful or more popular than Jesus. And Nietzsche, a German philosopher from like the late 1800s. The Ubermensch. Yeah, right now he's starting to get a, a, a strong revival thing going on here that, you know, his famous quote was, God was dead. I mean, yeah. here's the beat. The, Nietzsche is saying God is dead and the Beatles are saying that they're more powerful, not more powerful, but more popular than Jesus. And uh, again, from my own Personal, I remember there was a uh, 
a cartoon kind of a thing. It was like in a New York City subway that somebody had put graffiti up on the subway wall. Um, God is dead, sign Nietzsche. And then underneath somebody wrote, Nietzsche's dead, sign God. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a popular joke in Mark David Chapman's prayer group, too, that they would sing a parody line of the song Imagine. Because in, in the song Imagine, which is a beautiful song, they do talk about, um, you know, he's kind of deconstructing religion. And it thinking opens the with better. imagine if there was no heaven. Yeah. So he deconstructs the idea of religion a little bit, which is pretty groundbreaking for the time. So his prayer group was singing. Did you get the line? Yeah. It was, it was imagine John Lennon's dead or yeah. something. Ima imagine a world where John Lennon's dead. Yeah. And that's uh, super, super really, Christian, yeah, by the way. Very super and super original, too. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you put little ideas like that into a person's head who's capable of violence and uh, you know has a little bit of a, some schizophrenic uh, episodes in his past, and uh, you have him identifying so much with this character, this uh, I guess uh, anti-hero type character or outsider character of Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye, whose entire predisposition is to take out the phonies, and I hate the phonies and yeah. phonies, phonies, yeah, phonies. Yeah, that was his big thing. He thought that John Lennon was a giant phony mm -hmm. and so had he's to pay for it. It's uh, oh man, it's just setting the stage for it though. Yeah, and and again too, I mean, at the time, for a rock band to do a commercial, that was like you're selling out yes. to the man, right? Yeah, that, yeah. How now, dare you make money? Yeah, <laughs> right. And now we got all the Cadillac commercials and everything else doing the uh, the old timey rock yes. and roll stuff. So <laughs> I think that was a Carlin line too. All the good rock and roll that was sold to the car company commercials years ago. Yeah, but. Chapman found the millionaire musician to be fraudulent and phony as he continued to stack fat, fat stacks of cash while publicly espousing equality and peace and love and all that other bullshit. This rolled in with Chapman's continued substance abuse and the mental deterioration leads him to planning for, this sounds like an act that had to happen in the moment, right? This sounds like just, you know, heat of passion kind of crime. That's what I thought it was. Did you pick up on how long he was planning this fucking thing? Well, he made, he made a trip to New York mm -hmm. to try it and then put chickened out and came back to Hawaii. Yeah, his wife- his Told wife his wife. Yeah, told his wife what he was gonna do and then she talked him out and had him he, fly back to Hawaii. He, he, he told her that he was gonna kill John Lennon, but her love for him saved him and stopped him from doing it. He even showed her the gun that he took on the airplane. This chick's a ride or die, man. Yeah, right? He's got, he's got like a, a lot of people, he's got like a Camille Cosby type. <laughs> or like an Ava Braun, like. She's definitely she, up there, man. And you know she was like, I knew I could change him. That's right, right. <laughs> He has issues. She, I, I read an interview. Yeah. So she's she still lives in Hawaii. She's still married. Uh, it's 40 something years they're married. And uh, I wrote I just read something last year. So this was just from 20, a 2020 interview where she said with Mark uh, locked up, the Lord is her husband. As soon as I read that, I was like, they should probably lock her up too, just to now be before, safe. before anybody else she gets knew hurt. She a lot about what was going on yeah. too. That's what's yeah. even creepy. Now, uh, other people on his, because we talked about this, was Lennon the main target or was he the most convenient because he knew that he could get access to a celebrity in New York like that? Um, other potential targets, by the way, Cahoons, I don't know if you know this. Um, there were some pretty good names on this list, this yes. potential kill list. So if you were having a party, you'd probably invite couple of the people that are on Mark David Chapman's kill list here. Okay. Uh, Liz Taylor, George C. Scott, who played Patton in the, the movie Patton, 
Uh, Paul McCartney, right? So it's, you got to pick one Beatle or the other, you know, it's, I bet you the two of them are always arguing back and forth of like, well, you know, I was really the one who wrote everything and the other guy was just a rhythm dude. And they're like, well, I'm really the one that he wanted to kill. Yeah. Settle for you. <laughs> um, uh, other people, th- this one was my favorite because there's other names on the list as well, but, uh, who has a problem with Johnny Carson? <laughs> yes, Johnny Carson was on his list. And then I was thinking if he had killed Johnny instead, Ed McMahon would have been the new Yoko. <laughs> like <laughs> Ed McMahon would have been the one publicly carrying. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess instead of strawberry fields, they would have had like, I don't know, like martini or like neglected children fields. <laughs> and Ed McMahon would have held a vigil every year for Johnny. Well, doesn't he do that with the uh, the millionaires, the publisher's clearinghouse? Uh, <laughs> sure do. <laughs> but also- Kill um, a late night host before I forget. I apologize. Uh, uh, before you, you kill a late night host live on television, does that sound like any sort of a green haired clown guy in a movie we just saw recently? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keep going. So, sorry about that. But also, I, I don't know if we were going to. We we mentioned David Bowie before. So yes. David Bowie claims, I, and David Bowie is not known for making up a ton of horse shit in his in his interviews. No. But um, David Bowie at the time in 1980 was making his Broadway debut as the Elephant Man. Right. And um. David Bowie was also on Mark David Chapman's list. In mm-hmm. fact, they found a program from the Elephant Man in Mark David Chapman's hotel room with David Bowie's name circled in black. The next night after John Lennon's killed, Bowie decides Bowie and Lennon were very good friends. They wrote fame together. Um, They're both big fans of, um, I believe it was the two of them. Maybe it was Bowie and Jagger were big fans of Uncle Floyd. Yeah, New Jersey comedy yes. legend. Yeah, Uncle Floyd. yeah. There's actually a great Bowie has a song about un- mm-hmm. Uncle Floyd on his Heathen <laughs> album. But um, so the next night, David Bowie performs at uh, he performs the Elephant Man on Broadway, and up front are mm. three empty seats in the theater, which belong to John Yoko and Mark David Chapman, yep. who had a ticket reserved for, for reserved the Elephant seat. Man. That's the creepiest Which shit is I just, remember. yeah, I read that and I got chills. Right. I, I saw it on a meme and I was like, well, that can't possibly be true. I would have heard about that. So I started looking yep. into it. I see it on multiple sources, but then I found a 20 something year old interview with Bowie where he admits all of it. It's uh, that's what gets so unnerving. And also Kahuna knew something beforehand too, because again, he's plotting this murder for three months before he actually gets up there and finally, there's an issue. He doesn't have ammunition the one time. Uh, he chickens out one time. Uh, he's going back and forth. On, wants to work on his relationship with the Lord. Clearly, this guy's going through some shit. Um, but hours before he would shoot Lennon, because by the way, he, I believe you, the other James Taylor story about this one, that he had the physical encounter with him. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he described Chapman as being like a, a covered in like manic sweat. Like, yeah. Like, ah, ah, and just talking about how he goes, I'm going to meet John Lennon. I'm going to meet John Lennon. Yeah. He starts hanging out outside of John Lennon's apartment building. And he's hanging out there for a while too. It's not right. like I'm just going to walk up and see what's going on. He's kind of camped out. He camped for days. Out yep. for, for, for the, days. Yeah, yeah. But a people, people did. People just hung outside the Dakota waiting right. to get a glimpse. And by the way, I every morning I would have come out and locked up anybody that was at the Dakota waiting. Anybody that's hanging out trying to get an autograph is a menace to society. <laughs> it, well, what a nice guy 
it's so weird. That to, this to, is what, yeah, this upset yeah. me. I know what you're going to say. This upset me. Blows my mind. So this guy's hanging out outside there. Apparently, he gets uh, access to be able to, to greet um, Sean, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, care, the, the babysitter or whatever's coming out with the kid. And he goes, oh, he's a beautiful boy. Beautiful yeah. boy. You know, the, the John Lennon song. And then presents an album to John Lennon when John and Yoko are walking out. Because, by the way, this is another hilarious part. One time that he was probably going to make the, the kill shot or whatever. He just was distracted and didn't realize they were leaving. He goes, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, he, he missed it. Right. All right. I guess we're getting lunch. We'll be back. Um, yeah, that was one of the reasons, I think, why he probably picked John Lennon, too, because he was so accessible that he was in and out of the Dakota. There was always a crowd out there. He would always stop and, and give autographs and that type of stuff and, and say hello to his fans yeah, and that, that type of thing. So he was a he was a decent sort of guy. Chapman even admitted that you know he's a decent he was a decent guy. He was very polite and. Um, he signs an album for him. Yeah, yes. he signs Double Fantasy for him. And which was the five hours release. later, that guy's going to kill him. Right. Yes. Now, Mark David Chapman says, he claims uh, in that Larry King interview, Lennon signs the album cover and then asks, do you need anything else? And uh, Mark David Chapman said, he was like, I didn't have a camera on me. There was nothing else he could have done for me. And he looked me in the eye and I think he knew that this was the person that was going to kill him. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I would think that about anybody that asked for an autograph. Well, there's that famous photo too, though, that um, that, that winds up getting taken. The Paul Goresh is the photographer and it's a truly creepy photo. Cahoons, you were saying you saw it earlier, right? Yeah. yeah. I, that, that's one of the, like the, f- I remember when uh, I've learned about, I learned about Chapman before. So I know a little bit about this stuff. Some of the exclusives I get from you guys, but I've known about that photo for a while, and it is like one of those things. Is like it is unsettling. Yeah, Lennon's, Lennon's got his arm around him. Like yeah, he, right. I can't. At what point? Like I get if he doesn't sign the autograph, you being all murderous and being like, "Oh, this motherfucker's yeah. gonna get I came him all later. the way from Hawaii." Yeah. And you're, <laughs> but he signs the he signs the album and takes a picture, and there's no part of you that's like, "Nah, all right, where's George C. Scott live?" Coons brought the picture up to me. It is it's nuts. Yeah. You're seeing, uh, by the way, Mark David Chapman does, it's a little bit of like a young John Candy kind of a thing that he has. Yeah, I was thinking Chris Farley. Yeah, that's funny. Chris Farley, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tommy boy. Do you remember the Beatles? (laughs) (laughs) Remember when you were in the Beatles? (laughs) Do you remember when John is dead? Uh, But yeah, it's it's completely, it's spooky to see that picture. Um, That album is actually going to, was apparently auctioned recently. No shit. His copy. Freaking as of two thousand, as of November two thousand twenty, it went for four hundred thousand dollars. People buy the weirdest shit, yeah. man. It's uh, I mean, all of our Patreon money has been going to me getting a pair of uh, Casey Anthony's underwear. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not for me. That's for a friend. <laughs> uh, so Kuna just tapped. He tapped out. He's done. All right, we broke him. I'm sorry. <laughs> we just had um on, on a recent interview, actually, also with uh, Chris Covert. He brought in uh, George Cummings from the band Doctor Hook and the Medicine Show, and George Cummings was telling the story of meeting a concert promoter who brought him into his garage to show him the wrecked car that Jane Mansfield died in. Oh, this this dude creepy. bought it at an auction. So people are getting the some morbid shit. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a gotta have collectible. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, man, we say that for my for Father's Day. We just got my pops the gun that killed Lincoln, so he's pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but he, he winds up uh, about five hours later. Um, 
because again, reports indicated that Chapman's wife knew all about this. Uh, five hours after getting a signed vinyl record, it's probably going to be worth you know tons. Um, he's going to shoot the guy five times in the back. And uh, Chapman's wife knew about his plans, his struggles with alcohol, mental illness. And Chapman actually said that he resents her in a way for not calling the cops on him back then. But again, still married, so they worked yeah, out. Yeah, It does get better. Um, after shooting him in the back, he shoots five rounds because that's what people don't, they think it's a six shooter. Yeah, but no. James, James Taylor knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. You can immediately identify it. Well, he hits uh, four of the rounds, hit him. And uh, authorities will arrest Chapman uh, on site without incident. And again, Lennon's pronounced dead on arrival because he's just, I mean, dead to rights. They threw him in the back of a, a squad car, like we said, because they didn't have time for the ambulance. It was it was an ugly scene. It had to be. Um, three hours later, Chapman told authorities that a big part of him, this, this quote kind of spooked me a little bit because you don't want to research this shit alone late at night. But um, <laughs> he told authorities, well, I suppose a big part of myself that committed this murder was my inner Holden Caulfield. Again, the protagonist of Catcher in the Rye. And he goes, but a small part of me was probably the devil. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He gets into that in the uh, in the Larry King interview. Well, because again, he if you notice, he uses religion as a way to rebound uh, from whenever he hits these these manic lows. So in order to get it back onto a manic high, it's like religion comes in and says, "You're a good person. You know, don't have to worry about that. We're going to work on you." There's a guy up there named God, and he loves you no matter what you did. And so he's completely repaired himself in uh, the eyes of the Lord, if you will. Yeah. So, but this is his way of going, oh, the devil made me do it. That's You're starting to get a little bit of that in here, too. Um, again, the, the next night, the, the thing with Bowie, that's creepy as hell. Um, Chapman claimed that he did the act, by the way, uh, in order to get more people to read. This is an exact answer. He goes, well, I did this in order to get more people to read Catcher in the Rye. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, that was which his big worked, motivation. Which worked to an extent. Very much so, because then uh, just four months later, uh, that same book, Catcher in the Rye, is found in the personal belongings of John Hinckley, who had just shot the recently elected President Ronald Reagan. Right. Again, to impress Jodie Foster. Which, yes. I mean, come on, aim a little higher, buddy. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah, she was 13, I think, at the time, too. Oh, it's it was, creepy. It was pretty creepy. Right. So this book now. And it was like, what an idiot, dude. She's a lesbian. That's. <laughs> You're, you're never going to impress her that way. I don't care how big your gun is. Oof, but now that's two times. So this book is now catching on this reputation because of these two crimes being linked to the two murderers over here. Uh, LP, you had another connection to this. One, yeah, there was a, another uh, a murderer, Robert John uh, Bardo, who murdered uh, Rebecca Schaefer. Who yeah, was the a, actress, a actress from My Sister Sam. Was that the yeah, name of the gotcha, show? Yeah. He was trying to tell me about this. I, I didn't. I they, yeah, from. I remember. I was old enough. I remember when that happened. Oof. And um, they were pen pals. Like, the. I, I'm sorry, what was his name? Uh, the, Robert John Brent. It's always with three names. Um, yeah. <laughs> Assassins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got, yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald, Kevin Patrick John Burke. Wilkes Booth. <laughs> <laughs> They're all. Uh, they, uh, that guy was writing letters to Mark David Chapman in jail. Like, I really love this book. Like, how bad is jail? Like, if uh, I were to kill somebody, would I hate jail as much as I think? Well, he was enjoying jail because they kept him away from everybody because the fear was that there were so many Beatles fans in Gen Pop that they would fucking kill him. Because if you're talking about clout chasing of if he's because, again, they did try to pin this motive on him that they say that he killed John Lennon or anyone famous would have been his target in order to gain notoriety. So he could feel some of that that fallout, that residual fame or whatever right. we were talking about earlier. So now if you're if you're subscribing to that theory, 
then the definition of clout chasing would then be to kill the guy who killed the guy. Right. You know? So like, I'm the one who killed Cause he's right. public enemy. Number one at this right. point, Beatles fans are, I mean, it, it's even, Beatles, even in prison, you're still going to be hated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there's a couple I think, of, I fans. think he's in solitary because of that it, to this day that he's still, still in solitary confinement. I believe he's, they said he accepted solitary because I don't think he wanted to. Okay. Again, he was also, he fasted for 26 days in a row when he first went into jail. They actually had to. Um, th- Which is weird because didn't Lennon and Yoko kind of do something similar where, where they stayed in bed and wouldn't eat for a few days? Yeah. 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 Here and to, there. yeah. It was, uh, I mean, also then uh, Bobby Sands over in Ireland. I mean, hunger strikes are. It's, right. I don't At know the if time, was a that, was a, or, that was a, a way of protest. Well, get, they wound up putting him on uh, liquid nutrients that he had to get, uh, not not like force fed, but he he agreed to take those, but he wouldn't eat solid food for like 26 days or something. So, Well, they did the same thing with Bobby Sands during the, during the troubles over in Ireland, too, the, uh, the force, force feed you. Yeah, propel, Gatorade. Yeah. Um, but. Now, it's pretty wild here, too, because uh, when they asked him, they said, well, what do you mean that you shot John Lennon to make us read Catcher in the Rye? And he said, well, just read Catcher in the Rye. It's full of answers. Yeah. Like, so he found some deeper meaning because um, we talked about it once before, Dad. Bob Dylan was getting spooked by, first of all, the John Lennon thing is, is going to spook him a little bit. And he's got a bunch of hippies living out on his front lawn. Bob Dylan has that great quote. I don't know if you've ever heard it where he goes, yeah, at some point I just wish that I was a normal suburban dad living out in the Midwest or something, just away from all this bullshit in New York City, because he didn't realize how much importance people were going to put on his words, mm-hmm. right? Where it was going to change people's lives. Right. And I think um, Mick Jagger had the, the great line where he goes, I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, it, it's spooky here because uh, it's very unnerving, the whole story. And then um, he actually almost... Again, like Charles J. Gateau, which is uh, one of our favorite people we ever covered on the show, the guy who killed uh, President Garfield, um, he refused to allow himself to be declared insane. So Chapman actually cooperated with the prosecutors against his own defense attorney's advice to mm-hmm. say, no, no, guys, I'm, I'm completely fine, actually. I'm competent to stand this trial as an adult. And uh, got a little bit spooky because now his court-appointed defense attorney actually had to step down from the case because he was getting death threats. So imagine what Chapman is getting in terms of like, you know, harassment and shit right, like right. that. So if you're the defense, defense attorney, attorney, right, the court appointed defense guy's attorney. guy's got to have a lawyer, guys. Give me some break here, buddy. Yeah. I like to picture the lawyer being Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? Just a fucking public defender. Like you just, a case lands on your desk. Oh, you want to, this is actually an interesting, like personal uh, anecdote about this. I had so my uh, girlfriend through high school and college, her dad was a court stenographer. Oh, shit. And um, and her mom was a house like there wasn't a two income family. She had a really beautiful house with a pool. She went to private school and I never understood where the money came from because I was just a kid. I thought, oh, your dad's like a secretary, like. Right. He's like a court. He's like a court secretary. I didn't understand, and I thought that if I had, if I had to guess, I would have guessed that stenographer that was like a state job or a court appointed job where you were not on some great salary. Oh, I'm terrified of this. No, this you're actually um, like an independent contractor, and you own the you own all your transcripts. Whoa. Oh, so the court records he was, are yours. He was the stenographer. 
for Mark David Chapman's oh, case. Shit. And when it came time for her to go to public school or private school or put a swimming pool in, he he just sold that shit off. Oh my god! All right, yeah. <laughs> <Sell it. laughs> <laughs> wow. wow well and i was i grew up i was always like hey well, you, your dad treats me like shit and he's just a secretary <laughs> like what <laughs> <laughs> what is this shit yeah dude wow. that and is that's a, that was a wild thing to learn yeah that's spooky man yeah that was because again well, there's the, your jersey tie-in that there's a, is a jersey tie-in for the oh for sure holy crap on that one um Fifty Shades of Ken Krantz. Uh, no, this was weird, man, because uh, one of the, I believe he actually reads part of Catcher in the Rye in the courtroom, and it's talking about it's the line that the uh, the line that becomes one of the more famous uh, little um, uh, where the the name Catcher in the Rye comes from is that he's going to be someone standing out in a rye field catching kids as they're falling off a cliff or something like that. He's they spoof oh, it yeah. in Observe and Report. With a just a big cloud of shit, and I just have a <laughs> shotgun, and I'm just there to stop. It. So, but they, I mean, there's so many. Because this case had to be had to be headline news when this was going yeah. down, man. This is nuts. But uh, Chapman, uh, I would say uh, uh, he's a little bit of a, a charismatic figure, but also the most uncharismatic man ever. Because in that interview, right, he's almost too calm. Yes. Yeah. He even apologizes at one point, though. He says. I know this is going to come across as cold and clinical, but I've told the story so many times. And he's, uh, by the way, he's, uh, I believe it's number 12. Attempt number 12 is approaching for him to get parole. Right. For this. He's been denied all the other times. Yoko's actually shown up a couple of times and yeah. said she doesn't want to relive the memories and stuff like that. So we're just going to leave you in here. And yeah, then, she walks into the parole hearing, starts singing, and they're like, all right, we won't release him. <laughs> We're off the hook. Kahuna shit on her now, too. <laughs> um, but it, the, the whole story is kind of mind-blowing because you're just like, as a kid, I just remember accepting, oh, yeah, John Lennon got shot. And then you read about it, and you're like, imagine waking up every day, and a new part of this story is out for you to like digest. Yeah. It's creepy, man. His next parole hearing, by the way, August of 2022. So 12 times a charm. We hope this podcast, any money you donate to I Love Rock and Roll will be going to the defense fund of. <laughs> it's worth watching that Larry King interview too, just to hear Larry asked him if he's ever had any homosexual attacks in prison. <laughs> Larry's all about that. Huh? <laughs> and, and then and Mark David Chapman was like, no, they actually treat me like really lovely here. I'm like one of three people on the floor. He works. He has a job in the the prison as well, and he works by himself, I believe, for the most part. Now, again, the fact that he's so calm, because it's going to open the door for you here in a second, uh, handsome. You know what we're setting you up for. Oh, all right. We but, can do uh, that. It, the old adage is don't kill a beetle, okay? Don't kill a beetle <laughs> because uh, John Hinckley, who, again, is uh, the guy who shot Reagan four months later with the same book, Catcher in the Rye, amongst his personal uh, possessions, he's out now. He's out of prison because he actually was accepted under the idea that he had temporary insanity kind of a thing. Um, and so, again, it, it's kind of who you can shoot the current president of the United States. As long as he doesn't die, you can right. still live your life and put out your music or whatever you were yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's, he's putting out he's like a shitty folk singer on YouTube now. Oh, man. And his, his videos are <laughs> racking up more views than any of our stand up clips will ever get in our lives you know what i'm gonna do then i'm just gonna start putting up clips of my stand-up and saying john hinckley's hits <laughs> <laughs> that's it but that uh, dude it's wild because um 
because of the way that Chapman then handles this, because he starts seeing a minister and stuff like that. He's tried to repair his faith with God. He still sees his wife for this conjugal visit every year. I think he gets like 48 hours alone with her kind of a thing in like this weird makeshift like apartment cell that they put together for him. But he works his job over there in the hospital. He refuses most interviews. First interview was 1992 with... Um, uh, Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters, mm-hmm. yeah. Then the Larry King one. The Larry King one's the one that I was able to watch. So, I mean, that was mind-blowing to see how the, the weird, eerie calm that comes over this guy when he tells you about what he yeah. did and how he feels about it. Um, it kind of makes you think, Dad, that maybe temporary insanity, maybe that's not too far of a stretch here because there's some weird things that happened in this guy's life. That, well, our boy definitely had his ups and downs, didn't he? Yeah, I mean. certainly did. <laughs> there was perhaps a government program for a Jersey tie-in here that maybe – Maybe we might have covered on another episode of American Yeah, there's, there was a, a bit of a lose reception that I, when I started doing the research on this one, I was like, I was a holy shit moment for me. But, uh, you know, this obviously with anything as big a news story as this was, I mean, this, this when he was, was uh, when Lennon was shot, uh, that even interrupted Monday Night Football. Howard Cosell, oh, Howard Cosell was the first uh, commentator or news person or media person that actually announced that that uh, Lennon was shot. I mean, Can you imagine getting awful news from fucking Howard Cosell? Well, I don't want to tell you how I found out Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but Howard Cosell uh, apparently had uh, done an interview with uh, Lennon previously. Which is why Lennon had been up in the booth at Monday right, Night Football. Right. That was like his "I'm a man of the people" phase. Right, Ugh. right. And then uh, I think they came the uh, the news came by just by circumstance that there was another ABC News guy in the emergency room when they brought Lennon in there. Now Lennon's surrounded by all the cops and everything else, and there was another uh, news guy in there for um, some kind of emergency service. And he came to realize who the cops just brought in and is now dead. So they, you know, put it up the stream and it finally comes to Howard Cosell in the booth during a Monday night football <laughs> game with seconds to go. And like there's a there's a drive for a winning touchdown and Howard's got to jump in on that and break the news to the world that, uh, you know, John Lennon has just been I forgot about fatally that. shot. But uh there's all kinds of conspiracy theories with this. Anything that is that big of a news story, of course, you're going to have the conspirators are going to uh, start ramping that thing up. But um, one of the ones, uh, one of the conspiracy theories was based on uh, CIA and FBI surveillance of Lennon due to his left wing activism. I mean, what's even that back- quote too? All my heroes, I'm sorry, all my idols have FBI files, I think was the quote back then. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be like everybody who was worthwhile had an FBI. <laughs> right, okay. right. And again, who, who's the big tuna over there? The big tuna with. Um, well, at the, the FBI. FBI was our, our boy Jay Edgar. Jay Edgar, who? We did that episode maybe a year and a half ago, and he pops up almost in every episode since. Yeah. It's spooky. Right. Yeah. Uh, was it was it Nixon? Was it Nixon's presidency? Or well, it, it goes back to Nixon's presidency because Lenin was um, saying, you know, get out of Vietnam. Yeah. He was anti-war, and of course, Tricky Dick did not. Uh, that did not sit real well with anybody going against what he was proposing. So, um, you know, the FBI had surveillance on him. The CIA had surveillance on him. Um, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of ideas or theories that were floated out there, uh, one of which was floated in a, in a book uh, and then a, a, a 
a playwright um, created this whole drama with the theory that Chapman was manipulated by a rogue wing of the CIA. All right, now I get that sounds all right. Okay, he suggests that um, that he could not be all that insane if he managed all those long trips from Hawaii to to New York City. Right. And the first time that he went to New York City, he got there with the gun, but didn't have ammunition. And he actually had to drive out to Pennsylvania yeah. to buy his ammunition. You were yeah. talking away, you were talking earlier about the two week cooling off period. Yeah. Well, James know. Taylor told him that. He's yeah. like, those they don't fire without right, right. ammunition. You gotta go to Cabela's or something. <laughs> James Taylor's got a guy. Um, yeah, but um, the the whole idea was that um, Chapman was programmed while he was in that hospital Manchurian in Hawaii. And it was a yeah. Manchurian candidate that there was going to be some kind of a trigger that um, is going to set him off, and he's going to be he's going to be the guy that's going to assassinate, that's going to murder John Lennon, and the trigger was somewhere within the Catcher in the Rye. And then you had all these other catcher in the rye, you know, associated murders uh, with uh, Hinckley and everybody else. So they were thinking that he was part of the uh, that Chapman was part of the CIA's uh, Project MK Ultra, that he was drugged and programmed and everything else while he's in there. And it was also while he's in the hospital where he was given that book on John Lennon yeah. and to show him how much money this guy. So, you know, is this guy being tuned up while he's in, in Hawaii? And why did he pick Hawaii in the first place? I mean, it's just, there's just a whole lot of questions. And like any good conspiracy theory, there's going to be all kinds of you right. know, now, partial truths or partial evidence that uh, moves it along. Mark David Chapman completely denies that he was he's asked yeah. about it in the Larry King interview. But then also, like, how would you know? A, that's <laughs> how right. you, the conspiracy right. stuff is that there's always you can't disprove them. Like, I, I swear I, I've had beefs with flat earth people before. I was like, oh, I can't even argue with this anymore. So they can't I can't prove them wrong. So they, like it's kind of a wild thing. So a little bit of leeway in that story there. But he doesn't yeah. think it. Nobody really thought they were an MK Ultra either. Right. That's no, <laughs> nobody knew. Nobody realized that. Hey, somebody just gave me LSD. Even the guy who was ahead of the program never realized that he was. Uh, Do you ever just like up. go to follow fish around on tour and then wind up knocking over the head of a despotic empire regime? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did too, man. That's why I don't do Molly anymore. <laughs> The other, the other. <laughs> oh, we got Kahuna again. All right, we'll be right back with the Kahuna. <laughs> I implemented regime change once, like just on like a weird, wild thing to do. Like, by the way, uh, following fish around is way worse. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather my kid grew up to overthrow a regime than go see fish on tour. Uh, on brand for you. <laughs> But another little tidbit that I thought was a little interesting, too, is that um, uh, there was a documentary that the doorman at the Dakota, at the hotel where Lennon was living with Yoko and, and Sean, the kid, that the doorman was of Spanish descent. Mm -hmm. And um, when they started to investigate this guy, there was some speculation that he has long time association with the CIA going back <laughs> to the Bay of like Pigs. Like most doormen. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Back to the Bay of Pigs and Eddie Castro. <laughs> <laughs> 
they actually they touch on it. So there is when I say truly awful, there is a truly awful Mark David Chapman biopic. Uh, starring Jared Leto. Leto? How do you say it? I think it's Leto. Huh? Jared Leto and um, the shittiest of the Jokers and um, Lindsay Lohan. And they it, it is so bad it's worth watching. It's like one of those, <laughs> it's right. so awful, right. it's good. Kahuna, I smell Mystery Science Theater night coming up, buddy. Yeah, it is. It is. I would lock Jared Leto up too, just to be safe <laughs> after watching this. But they they do touch on the the Spanish doorman, and Learning maybe now. there was some kind of weird, you know, the Bay of Pigs, perhaps. Yeah, and it was even speculation that it wasn't Chapman who shot uh, Lennon; it was the the Spanish doorman, yeah, the Cuban exile that that shot him and. Chapman was just programmed to be the patsy, be the fall guy that he's going to sit down and read his, I mean, that read is, his that book until is the cops are Yeah, that's a right? little crazy. Like once you got Lennon, wouldn't you just be like, well, fuck it. Let's just knock off as much of this list. Like if you're going to be a monkey, be a gorilla. You know what I mean? <laughs> Solid. <laughs> it was uh, it's a creepy one, too, because there's something about the calm that goes down with it, because uh, there's um, I believe that happened in Taxi Driver, too, but like the, the opening shot. When he shoots Harvey Keitel, it's like there's that weird moment when he's just looking and he goes, oh, OK, so no one's stopping me. Like we can follow through on something because then Taxi Driver comes out, what, 79? Yeah. So Taxi Driver was already out when this went down. But it had to be because, again, Jodie Foster being uh, a key part of the, the the Hinckley story and then the shooting of a, a presidential candidate, which would happen with Reagan later on and stuff like that, too. I mean, there's a lot of art imitating life, imitating art kind of a thing here. So it's it's spooky. The right. whole story is a little bit more unsettling. We're laughing about it, but I was also like, Jesus Christ, this happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll be honest. The most surprising thing I found out was that this dude was and is still married. That's like that was <laughs> I. That's I, everything I read. I came away with she, she fucking. It's a ride or die, man. It's uh, again, and there might be more information coming out about this story because, like we said, that twelfth appeal is coming up right now. That would be, I, I know it was a crazy time for, but that would have been the craziest presidential pardon ever. If on his way out, Trump just goes, Chapman, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Let's not say we did. It's dude. It's a creepy story on that one, man. But uh, what else you got coming up on Isle of Rock and Roll, brother? I love rock and roll. Uh, we are we're covering the life of Scott Weiland next nice. week. We just had uh, this morning. We recorded with the fantastic comedian Ted Alexandro. We did a whole episode on on famous lost albums to promote his lost album. The episode that I would tell you guys and the American Loser fans to check out. Uh, most if you're going to listen to one episode you're listening Stu. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening kp's mom um check out an episode on a gentleman called spade cooley oh you talked to me about him yeah Jones already knows him yeah you were you were in there that's for that right one. i think that's probably that's, there's there's a lot of uh american history wrapped up in that yeah, it's nice. also also okay. a, a fun murder episode. <laughs> a fun murder, oh, <laughs> fun murder it is, man. Yeah, yeah. but uh, what what episode for for uh, the people who are listening to I Love Rock and Roll? What do you guys have coming up? What should they check out? I appreciate that, man. I loved our uh, two parter on the Bay of Pigs. Um, uh, LP, I think you and me are both partial to probably Kahuna's favorite too, Dan Sickles. Yeah, Dan Sickles was mm -hmm. a good one. In a nutshell, do you I, you've never heard of this guy before in your life? No. Um, 
he's the first guy to ever use temporary insanity and it works. And he, at the time, was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives representing the state of New York and shot the guy fucking his wife dead in the streets in the middle of D.C. with witnesses. Um, the guy who was fucking his wife was the son of Francis Scott Key, who wrote The Star-Spangled mm -hmm. Banner. Um, and he, he shot him in broad daylight broad in daylight. Lafayette like Park across the street yeah. from the White House. Right. And then he went home and wrote God Bless America. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not over yet. Not only does he get away with it, he then goes into the military uh, and winds up serving at the, he's a, serving as a general at the Battle of Gettysburg, gets his leg blown off by a cannon, has the leg preserved in a barrel. that You can go visit his leg that's still in the U.S. Army Field Museum. All right. The reason why his men got massacred on the field is because he didn't listen to orders on the field. And then he smoked a cigar as they were carrying him away on... <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he's a character. It's a flesh. All right. Yeah. 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 Then he tried to start a war with Spain because he was banging the deposed queen over there. He's pretty much the greatest human being who ever lived. <laughs> yeah, really. All right. It's, uh, but that one's great, man. And it's uh, I, You're always great when you come on the show, buddy. I'm excited, too. Uh, you have an album out, too. Plug it. Oh, well, uh, I have an album coming out uh, uh -huh. called uh, Fuck You, Poughkeepsie. <laughs> F.U. Poughkeepsie for short. F.U. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> uh, recorded at uh, one of the best clubs, one of my favorite clubs, probably my favorite club. Just the, the guys that run Laugh It Up Poughkeepsie are the best. They're so much fun to, to go party with. To give you guys an idea of the that club and the staff that works there it was either a carnival or a comedy club and they just happened to land on comedy club these guys, <laughs> they should be operating tilt the worlds and right. bouncing yes. people yeah but <laughs> nobody told the audience that it's not a carnival <laughs> <laughs> i got my wristband for ride all night <laughs> they are just wonderful people up yes there, in fact i will be there the, uh, all weekend Fucking eight, dude. Yeah. It's uh, uh, when's the album coming out? The album should be out. We're finishing editing this weekend while I'm nice. up in Poughkeepsie, and uh, I'm hoping it'll be out in a few weeks, three, four weeks. Well, buddy, you're a good friend of mine, man. You're also one of my favorite joke writers. Your Facebook and uh, well, your, your Twitter was really great for a while until the NRA got a hold of it. But... <laughs> Uh, that's a story for another time on that one here. LP, do you have anything else you want to say about Mark no, David Chapman? I think, on the way we, out? Uh, I think we got him pretty much covered there, Kev. He's uh, certainly a a character. He is, man. Coons, He's think about American. it real quick because we're going to go to you for a, a, a casting couch for who you would make a movie about Mark David Chapman, who you would cast in that movie. But in the meantime, please listen to Isle of Rock and Roll. Or I Ken's a great guy, awesome comic, and I enjoy what you're doing with the show, dude. It's fucking cool. Yeah, thank you. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this show as well. KP, I think you're very funny for oh, a buddy. dude. <laughs> for now um, it's at American Loser Podcast over on Instagram the American Loser Podcast page on our Facebook too uh, new episodes are coming out every Tuesday you get three every month for free okay the fourth Tuesday that's where it costs you for just as little as $3 a month which boils down to less than a dollar an episode we give you one premium exclusive episode where we cover a way deeper topic this most recent one was D.B. Cooper which is one of the greatest stories ever not told yeah <laughs> yeah uh, we're still at the point where you get all our shit for free so <laughs> you can uh, you can find us on Twitter uh, at uh, Rock and Roll Pod. I still can't believe you got the name. I love rock and roll. No one else jumped on that. Do one. you know? So Chip and I are bouncing names off each other for like a good three weeks. And then finally, one day I was just like, I just want something that people will remember. Like, I love rock and roll. But that's obviously taken. And because everything we came up with, you Google and you're like, oh, there's 15 other podcasts with that name. 
And then the show is originally called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. So we got <laughs> fucked out of that. That's right. right. <laughs> but yeah, there there was I guess it it was just so obvious that it never occurred to anybody <laughs> right. that they could do it. Everybody, everybody. That's surely that name. And had I, to be I actually taken, the our not. our first, so uh, KP knows uh, my comedy's a lot like KP's. I'm a little <laughs> little dark, little rough around the edges, and this uh i love rock and roll it's it's the safest cleanest thing i've ever done <laughs> and i've already received hate mail we we did we, you gotta be doing something right. we did an episode on the runaways and their manager kim fowley was a true piece of shit. he he the runaways were an underage female band they were all kids like between 15 and 16. need a movie about them right? yeah, yeah. It was a, a really actually a really good movie and michael shannon plays kim fowley and it's alleged by uh at least two members that he raped them he was a he would throw while they were practicing that was van alden death yeah from boardwalk <laughs> while while they were rehearsing he would throw dog shit at them and tell them this is what you have to get ready for. This is what people are going to think of you. So while they were rehearsing, they had to dodge. And this is like a grown man. And um, I, I already got a, a message from some Instagram on Instagram from somebody. First off, I knew once he told me that um, I shouldn't be disrespecting Mr. Fowley. <laughs> Mr. Fowley. Had, Mr. Fowley had a real gem on my hands. And then he... Uh, he told me that uh, he, he's going to get word to Joan Jett that I'm using the name of a song that she wrote that she didn't write. Uh, people are just nuts. But we did our, uh, it's up on YouTube, our demo Dick Marcinko episodes, the guy who created SEAL Team 6. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people start listening to that, don't understand what it is, and then start, they're so confident in their criticism, right? It's it's one of my favorite things ever. Somebody just goes in there and goes, I wish uh, this this kid would shut up and let uh, Demo Dick actually speak. That's how commanding of a voice my father has. This guy assumed <laughs> he, was he was the creator of SEAL Team 6. Go for sure. Demo Dick was sitting right here with us yeah, for my man. voice. Somebody wrote recently, he goes, I wish, um, uh, he goes, if we ever really wanted to take Demo Dick out, what we should do is strap him to a chair and make him listen. I've never heard a, a narrator like to hear himself talk so much. And I, I just wrote back to him. I never would write back to anybody normally on this stuff, but I just wrote, dude, it's a podcast. What the fuck yeah. other than talking am I supposed yeah. to be doing? <laughs> like magic tricks? Uh, like what? It's wild on that one, man. But most you see this card? No. Stuff to do a side gig. Cahoons, if you're making a movie about Mark David Chapman and the incident we talked about today, what are you doing with it? All right. So I'm taking some inspiration from one of my favorite recent rock and roll biopics called Love and Mercy. Oh, which is so the story good. of Brian Wilson's Beach Boys. Yes. I'm gonna have Brian I'm gonna have Mark David Chapman played by two actors in two different time periods. Uh we're gonna go uh <laughs> see, I don't have a real cast. If you cast say Chadwick Bozeman, I'm gonna be upset. No. With you. <laughs> uh for older David for older Mark David Chapman, we're gonna go Norm MacDonald. <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> actually not bad. Hey, shit, appeal, you know? <laughs> to, like, with the minute I saw this this fucking photo of David Chapman, like he he kind of looks like him. Yeah, and they both have like, that. They both have that deadpan delivery. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing we're doing a fucked up movie, and then in the past time in the past time uh, period, he's going to be played by Andy Milanakis because I fucking feel like it. Ooh, interesting. So, that that's a joke, but I mean, hey, hey you ever real? got to shoot a beetle? And you're like, ah, oh, I forgot <laughs> bullets. I'm not really making this fucking movie. I'm thinking it's like 
it's gonna be awful. So I'm it just was, like, here it, you go. It was this already it. made, and it is so awful. <laughs> uh, but truth be told, if it was like a legit thing, I would cast Adam Driver, who did. Uh, oh yeah, I could see that too. Who like did um, what the fuck? The new oh. Star Wars trilogy. There you uh, go, man. Kylo Ren. That guy's. Uh, I think he's an army vet or something. Too, yeah, in real life. He's yeah. badass dude. Yeah, he's a badass I like that dude. guy. Well, shit, man. I also like you, Ken Krantz. I like you, the Kahuna. You LP, do? thank you for the ride home. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave and, you uh, to me. Do we cover gas oh, yeah, yet? No, Patreon's making money right now. Yeah! It's, yeah, it's, uh, I won't say pennies on the dollar, but it's all Dogecoin. Um, <laughs> yeah. Isn't Dogecoin worth like five cents now? Debatably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but when Elon Musk retweets this episode. Oh, yeah, we're going to be rolling. Yeah, we're talking, dude. Uh, that's not, My next new fake Twitter name is Elon Musk. Um, but guys, this was Mark David Chapman. I thought it was a great episode, man. Uh, please listen to I Love Rock and Roll. For I Love Rock and Roll, that was Ken Krantz. I'm KP Burke, and that was Mark David Chapman, American yes. Loser. Yeah, listen to American Loser. Thanks, guys. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.